This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. To be honest, I feel like my best self in two situations. When I'm sitting in a movie theater completely alone and can ignore everyone around me. Or when I'm with friends or people that care about me. When you're at your best, you can do great things. But sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel completely overwhelmed or like you're not showing up in the way that you want to. And working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. Because when you're empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything that life throws at you. And as you know, life can throw a lot of stuff at you. I've been on and off with therapy my whole life. I could just unload stuff on them in a neutral space and not feel judged. It just let me move through the rest of the week with way more clarity. Now, if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online, so there's no waiting rooms. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash bird today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash bird. I'm David Ferrier, a New Zealander who got accidentally marooned in America, and I want to figure out what makes this country tick. Now, I've been saying that introductory line since May of 2021 when we started this podcast. I'd found myself stranded in America when New Zealand closed its borders to keep COVID-19 out. I want to acknowledge that in no time in New Zealand's history has a power like this been used. Thanks to that strong response, thousands of lives were saved in New Zealand. But it also meant my short trip to America suddenly saw me stranded here like Matt Damon stranded on that ice planet in Interstellar. But uh, I knew that if I just pressed that button, then somebody would come and save me. You fucking coward. Unlike Matt Damon, I wasn't a coward. I used my time to explore this strange land called the United States of America, each week diving headfirst into a puzzling new topic, from toilets to circumcision to Disney adults. But eagle-eared listeners will have realized that my introductory line to every episode is deeply flawed, because I'm no longer marooned here in America. The border restrictions into New Zealand are gone, and I can come and go as I please. It's not cheap to get home, but it's possible. A big part of being a New Zealander is being honest, so I wanted to come clean. So in today's episode, this metaphorical flightless bird gains the ability to fly, and wings his way back to New Zealand for a special New Zealand edition of Flightless Bird, about non-metaphorical flightless birds. So grab those Lord of the Rings DVD box sets and prepare for a visit to Middle Earth, because this is the Flightless Bird episode. Flightless, flightless, flightless bird touchdown in America. I'm a flightless bird touchdown in America. Prodigal Son returns. I'm back. I've been in New Zealand and I've brought back a real stellar episode. I'm excited to share it with you. I'm excited. But what have I missed? What's been going on? We last spoke Christmas. I mean, look, we've texted. We saw each other at the Christmas armchair Special. expert. Yep, we did. And then we sort of parted ways. What's been going on in Monica's world? Um, Let's see. I roasted a couple chickens. That's cool. That's gone okay. It was my New Year's resolution last year to learn how to roast and carve a chicken, and I didn't do it. You did two of them this year, did you say? Yeah. It's going well. I'm getting better, but it is smoking my apartment because I have no ventilation. And so the smoke (laughs) detector goes off, and I have to stand on a chair and wait. (sighs) So that part's bad. I lived in an apartment in New Zealand, and I live in a a small one-bedroom here in LA, and I often feel when you're living in a small place, cooking does take on a a whole different kind of thing because you are really immersed, and you're going to be living with that smell for a good couple of days. I know. This is the part I'm really (laughs) struggling with because I want to keep making chickens. I love the taste (laughs) so much, but I hate the whole apartment is permeated with the smoky chicken smell all my clothes and it's like not worth it 
Yeah, you don't want people when they walk into your apartment just to think immediately chicken. I'm in some sort of KFC or something. And you don't even know the story about the time I tried to poach fish. Oh, (laughs) my God. What a disaster that was. (laughs) It was so bad. It smelled so bad for so long. I was so Uh, (laughs) self-conscious. It's a true horror show. Now, I feel you. I have the same problem. I just choose not to ever cook. That's my solution. Yay. I just always get takeout or go out. And I feel like in America, there's so many more options to do that than in New Zealand. America makes you very lazy if you want to be lazy with food. I'm saying that as a positive thing. It can be kind of great. Yeah, it's easy. That's for sure. Do you have any questions about New Zealand? Because I've been back in my homeland, you know? I know you don't care about New Zealand, I but you know, that's where I'm from, you know? I do care. Oh, and you know, I got a special thrill when I was putting up my Christmas tree because last time you went to New Zealand or at some point a long time ago, you brought us back treats. You brought us back that delicious chocolate that we never <sighs> ate and also that gross chocolate that we did not like, that orange chocolate. You didn't like Jeffers. No, I didn't. And then you brought the a cute little teddy bear and yeah. a little tiny New Zealand Starbucks mug that's actually an ornament. So I put that up on my tree and I it made me think of you and New Zealand. That made it to your tree. That's so nice. It was such a cute little cup. It was so impractically small. And <laughs> I guess I didn't realize it was an ornament. I thought I bought you just a tiny cup, but I had actually bought you a, a sort of a decoration. You did. And I loved it. You know, I have a bajillion questions about New Zealand. I don't even really know where to start. You were wondering about Santa's attire oh, in New Zealand. that's right. On the that's beach. That's true. I am confused about, do you have Target in New Zealand? Let's start there. I think we might. We've got like a smaller version of Target. We've got Target Mini. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, when you <laughs> when you walk into Target Mini and there's all these little Christmas decorations to decorate your house or apartment with, mm. is Santa in a bathing suit because it's hot there? Or is it still the snowy imagery? Yeah, so we are split down the middle. It goes both ways. So there's the American Santa who is in very warm clothing and it's snowing all around him and there's that kind of thing. Yeah. But most of the imagery from any New Zealand company is Santa in shorts. You can see his little white legs. What? And he's by the beach frying some sausages. No. Wow. Actually, the big news story recently in New Zealand, just so you can get an idea of what kind of leads our news, there's an island off the coast of Auckland, which is our sort of biggest city called Waiheke. It's always in Lonely Planet's top five places to go in New Zealand. There's wineries. Mm. I joke it's kind of where we send all our worst people because it's just full of the kind of people you expect to be on an island that has a lot of wineries on it. Hey, it's very I, like high pollution. You'd do to well go there. there. Yeah, I'd send yeah. you there. How dare you? You just called me the worst person. <laughs> <laughs> so don't take it personally. It's just it's a certain vibe on Waikiki, but there's a big scandal going on on the island because someone keeps dropping sausages in oh. letterboxes. <laughs> To kill animals? No, it's that. So I don't know if you have them here, but in New Zealand, one of our favorite barbecue things to do is to get a sausage and you wrap it in a layer of thin, you butter some bread, you put the sausage in and you wrap up the sausage in the bread and put tomato sauce in there. Do you have that? Well, you mean ketchup, right? (laughs) Oh, no, we're back back again. (laughs) Yeah, ketchup. Tomato sauce is ketchup here. So it's a white bread. You butter the white bread. You put a sausage in the bread. You put a squirt of ketchup on there and you yeah. roll it up. Do you have that here? It is it's, it's a hot, hot dog. dog. Yeah, but it's not in a bun. It's a flat piece of bread that you wrap around the sausage. It's similar to a hot dog. Anyway, on Waikiki Island, which is, you know, this high falutin tootin island in New Zealand, someone keeps dropping these sausages wrapped in bread in people's letterboxes, which fresh off a barbecue is a delicious treat. But if you find it the next morning sitting on top of your mail, it's like a soggy, meaty mess. Your mailbox. I thought you said litter box. Oh, it's the accent. Oh, yeah, it's good to be back. (laughs) i got to learn to enunciate. Letter box. My letter box. No, mailbox is what we say here. And then Oh, my God. I feel like I've reverted. (laughs) I feel like I've gone back about a thousand steps in my journey to become American. You spent like one month in New Zealand and you are at square one. (laughs) 
back here. <laughs> I should also explain that a merry American thing happened when I got back, which explains why we're not in the same room right now, is I got buddy COVID when I got back here. <laughs> I know. Welcome I know. back. Welcome back. But that is your fault because you were supposed to, speaking of wine, have wine with me. And then instead mm. you went on a what you called a trip which I was confused about because you said, let's do tomorrow because I've gone on a trip. And I was like, wait, do you mean an acid trip? Do you mean, I was very confused. Yeah, there was a lot of confusion. No, a friend had picked me up and we went on a car trip, yeah. which is what you say in New Zealand. If you go on it in a car, you say you're going on a trip. It's okay. never sort of acid involved. Well, maybe it is. Anyway, I went on a trip and I think that's where I caught COVID. So I should have teaches me for not coming and having a wine with you and it's off tripping around the country. I know. Did you have fun though? On the trip, it was good. It was a good trip. It was a good trip. It was great. But the other thing, actually, I should note about New Zealand, which happened since I got back, is that our prime minister has resigned, which is quite big news. I saw that. What did you feel when you read that? I felt sad because I think she's a pretty great leader, but I sort of felt happy for her because she gets to take a holiday. Like it's been full on. She's had almost two terms as prime minister and there's been a terrorist attack at these two mosques in Christchurch. Uh, there's a volcanic eruption, obviously COVID. It's a lot. And so I think it's kind of great she can have a bit of a break on her own terms. In New Zealand, are you maxed out at two terms like you are here? She could go on for more. Oh, she could. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, running to the election because of the really intense response to COVID that I mentioned in the opening where we sort of closed the border down and we took it really seriously. A bunch of New Zealanders really didn't like that. And so definitely her popularity of her and the party in the polls has gone down. So it's not like she's walking into this election where the entirety of New Zealand loves her. Like we had this really strong sort of deranged conspiracy. Oh, I don't know how you describe it. There was a lot of craziness in New Zealand and a lot of that sort of hatred turned towards her. And so she's got, I would say, an excessive amount of pushback than your typical mm. prime minister because of her COVID response. And I think because she's a woman as well, yeah. like just a lot of pushback. And so I think she's just ready for a break, you know? Yeah, understandably. Have you ever talked to her? I weirdly, I know her because it's New Zealand and everyone knows everyone. <laughs> I knew her before she became prime minister. No like we're sort of way. friends. You're friends? Yeah, yeah. So we text and stuff occasionally and do little voice memos and stuff back and forth. <laughs> what? what? It's New Zealand. Everyone knows everyone in New Zealand. I don't like know, this. David. I don't know. Everyone just texts and does voice memos with the prime minister. Yeah, I sent her a message just saying, I'm glad you get a bit of a break, you know? Oh, my God. That's my dream with Obama. Yeah, it's nice to have sort of text buddies, you know, that you can like send little things to now and then. Then the great thing about her is you never want to talk about politics with her because she's so sick of it. So yeah. I'll just go to her for like relationship advice and that oh, kind of stuff. Oh my <laughs> Anyway, we're getting off the trail. <laughs> All right, great. I don't even know what you're about to present. I thought for this, because the whole show, you know, it's called Flightless Bird. It's sort of a metaphor, isn't it? I was trapped in America. I'm sort of flightless. I can't get home. But of course, in New Zealand, we have a lot of flightless birds, literal flightless birds, birds that have evolved to sort of be useless and not fly. And so I thought, I'm going back. So why don't we learn a little bit about them? Oh, great. Okay. Also, this is an Easter egg. In New Zealand, they don't have rabies. And we learned that via an incident that, that you endured that is coming up. Honestly, coming back to America has been rough. I got COVID <laughs> and I got bit by a fucking squirrel. <laughs> oh, it's been horrible, actually. It's another, so rabies is going to be another upcoming episode, the rabies episode. I'm okay is all I'll say. I'm, I don't have rabies at, at the moment, which is a real blessing. Because if I had it, I'd be dead. Listen. Can we just pause for one sec? How did that happen? You were feeding it? No, that's the thing. I wasn't feeding the squirrel. It approached me and it, bit me. Wait, really? But you, you were stuck just... your hand out, though. I was minding my own business in the park. The squirrel <laughs> approached me. <laughs> and as a sign of friendship, I reached out my hand. Okay, yeah. And it just sunk its little teeth in. And that set off a whole chain of events. So it'll be a rabies episode of this I podcast. And it's a lot. 
But the main things I enjoyed being in New Zealand, just quickly before we learn about our bird life, I loved sitting on the toilet and not having the water level so close to my bum. Oh, you like seeing so much of your poop. I mean, (laughs) you see less of my poop because the water level is so low. Because basically in America, if you use the toilet, you do a shit, you look there, it's all floating in this massive pool of water. In New Zealand, the water level's so low, when you do number twos, the poo's <laughs> right at the bottom of the bowl, and the second you hit flush, it's gone. It's out of there. Right, but it's also probably above the water. So it probably smells. No, there's enough water where it's covered, but not oh. excessively covered. So I love that. I loved encountering absolutely zero shower curtains. I had no shower curtains touching my body. There was no tipping confusion when I dined out or got a coffee. I went to a Starbucks in New Zealand. There was no little thing. Do you want to tip a dollar? Which, by the way, is way over 20%. And that is a trick when it says, do you want to tip a dollar on your coffee? Because that's way over 20%. You think it's cheap? It's not. Oh, that's okay. We can be generous. And I drank water direct from the tap and it didn't have any dead bodies in it. Oh, my God. No Cecil Hotels? Yeah, no Cecils. Oh, my God. So I had a great time. Wow, I'm glad you enjoyed it. But did you miss us? Yeah, I did miss you. I still miss you guys. It's like a weird soft entry where I haven't got to see anybody yet because I've had this disease, sort of the rabies and COVID. And (laughs) it's like a soft launch back in. But I like to think that next week, if no other hideous things happen to me, we can have a wine finally. Yes, I would like that. Stay tuned for more Flightless Bird. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Flightless Bird is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Now, I use AG1 literally every day because I know I don't have enough good stuff in my diet. So I'll literally wake up, I'll pour my filtered tap water into a cup, I'll put in a sachet of AG1, I'll mix it up, and I know that I'm set for the day. When I travel, I take sachets with me because I also live a life where I don't quite know where I'm going to be next. And if I know that I've got these greens with me, then I know I'm going to be healthy. You take one scoop of AG1 and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, and focus. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements and things on your shelf to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com flightless. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash flightless to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Flightless Bird is brought to you by Factor. Now it's a new year and you've probably got new goals and Factor is here to help you achieve each and every one of them. Fuel up fast with ready-to-eat nutritious meals delivered straight to your door, leaving you the time and energy you need to tackle everything on your to-do list. Achieve and maintain your 2023 goals with Factor. Get America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and start saving time, eating well, and living your best year yet. Now, I got into Factor last year, and the pesto salmon is one of the yummiest things I have ever tasted. If you're too busy to cook like me, with Factor, you can skip the trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping, the prepping, the cleaning up, all that stuff that I truly despise. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. With 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply with an assortment of over 36 sweets, smoothies, juices, and more things. Head to factormeals.com slash bird50 and use the code bird50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code bird50 at factormeals.com slash bird50 to get 50% off your first box. Okay, I'm going to teach you about flightless birds. Okay. It takes a really long time to fly from America back to New Zealand. And as I folded my long frame into a seat, I flicked through the in-flight entertainment where I settled on Avatar. 
which would shave two hours and 40 minutes off the 12-hour trip. I did the maths and realized if I watched it seven times in a row, I'd be home. I thought about what a strange thing Avatar is. James Cameron moved to New Zealand about a decade ago, where he's dedicated his entire life to exploring the ocean in a submarine and making more Avatar films. I'm down in New Zealand shooting. We're shooting the the remainder of the live action. We've got about 10% left to go. We're 100% complete on Avatar 2, and we're sort of 95% complete on Avatar 3. We're very lucky in that we chose this as our production site years ago. We made the first film here in New Zealand. It's ranked either the first or second best country in the world for its COVID response. That COVID response meant James Cameron was stuck in New Zealand making Avatar 2, 3, 4, and 5, while I was in America making Flightless Bird. I drifted off to sleep, dreaming of Navi and James Cameron's submarine. And seven avatars later, I was back in New Zealand, where I'd promised Monica, Rob, and Dax I'd deliver an episode of Flightless Bird. There was a host of topics I could choose from. Our famous mince and cheese pies. Our obsession with rugby. Our female Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Lord. Or maybe something about our ongoing love affair with Lord of the Rings. But then I turned to the show's name for inspiration. Birds. It's a beautiful oyster catcher, just next to the road. It's those bird sounds that I've really missed being away from New Zealand. I'd driven a few hours north to a remote beach where I was reminded of something I truly love about New Zealand, our bird life. Just heavenly, like a chorus of angels. That's an oyster catcher, these plump black birds with stick-thin red legs that run back and forth as the tide comes in, grabbing what they can from the water and sand. They're always paired up, always in love. I make another drive to my parents' place and do some recording outside. There are birds everywhere. My mum and dad love birds, and at the moment they're especially proud of the tiny quail that stopped by the house. But none of these birds would do for this episode, because they can all fly. I would need flightless birds, New Zealand's main weird thing. I mean, the whole point of a bird is that they can fly. But here in New Zealand, we do things a bit differently, I guess. All my life I have worked with birds since I was little, you know, that's what I like it, that's what I wanted to do. And I'm really privileged of having been able to make a living and and sustain my family with, with something that I enjoy. I've driven to Auckland Zoo, New Zealand's biggest zoo, to meet up with Juan. That's not a New Zealand accent, Juan is Spanish. He's curator of birds here at the zoo, and he's my ticket to meeting New Zealand's main flightless birds, all in the one place. Juan did his PhD in avian nutrition, and has worked at zoos with birds all around the globe. I love birds. A lot of people don't understand why birds are so interesting. What was it about birds that made you get bird-obsessed? Ah, that's a difficult one. I mean, I always love them. I'm more of a hands-on person, no, so I'm not so much into bird-watching as more into captive management and, and husbandry. So I like to interact with them, I like to take care of them, I like to facilitate them to breed, I like to, to help them conservation-wise. The delicacy of them, the feathers, the, the colors, the songs, uh, I mean, there's so many things. I mean, the, 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 the egg, the egg is such an amazing concept, you know, the, all the life coming from a complete enclosed package, you know. Birds are amazing, and I'm going to meet three flightless ones today. Now, a quick history lesson. New Zealand was isolated for about 80 million years, and before people came along, it was basically just a shitload of forest with heaps of birds. What there was nothing of was mammalian predators. No cats, no dogs, no bears, no stoats, no rats, nothing. And because of this, New Zealand birds realized they didn't need to fly. There was nothing to fly away from. They preferred just to walk around like the rest of us. And so New Zealand ended up with a bunch of flightless birds. There were several different species of moa, but this one was the biggest. It stands three meters tall. But is this really what it looked like when it was alive? I'd love to meet our biggest flightless bird, the moa, but it's dead. Humans killed it. 
So right now, I'm meeting one of the tiniest flightless birds in New Zealand, the little penguin. Now, New Zealand has a lot of penguins. More species of penguin are found in New Zealand than any other country. We've got 13 of the 18 total species that exist on the entire planet. Juan leads me into a backstage part of the zoo, because as well as being a zoo, they're involved in a bunch of wildlife recovery. Auckland Zoo has a colony of rescue penguins, ones that haven't done so well in the wilds. Eventually, the zoo wants to start breeding them, and right now, they're hand-raising a little penguin chick. Chris is on feeding duty today. What are you doing in here? What's your job? Uh, I'm just giving some fluid to the penguin. Not a fish feed at this stage, just some water to keep it hydrated. And what sort of penguin is this? This is a little penguin, or little blue as they used to be known. Yep, the smallest penguin in the world. I peer down into a little enclosure, and there's no penguin in sight. Where is he? Is he? Just down here. I can actually, I'll get him out I'd love to see him. Oh my goodness, I've never met one of these little flightless guys before. Chris leans in and lifts up a little box that's in the corner, revealing the tiniest little fluff ball of a penguin I've ever seen. Oh, look at him. Him or her? Uh, we're unsure yet. We've been calling it him, so we'll be very disappointed if it's a girl. <laughs> Hello. Oh, the, the smallest, fluffiest little creature. How, how old is this penguin, would you say? Oh, we're at, what are we, 32 days now. I lean in and put my microphone up to its tiny beak. This is what he said. I listen to its little peeping noises and think how pathetic and useless it is. Absolutely incapable of flight, both now and when it's an adult. So a lot of people think that their houses are haunted when they have these penguins under their houses because of the kind of noise and they don't expect penguins to come so far inland. They travel a couple of kilometres from the coast. So they're walkers, they use those little feet? Definitely walkers and climbers. They jump and you wouldn't expect them to get up where they can get up, but they do. Maybe not this guy right now, but but he'll have his time out with uh, with the other adults and I'm sure he'll pick that up. Birds are meant to fly, aren't they? Well, yeah, it's a common trait of birds. I guess having such a unique country like New Zealand that's been in isolation geographically from the rest of the world has meant almost a de-evolution in a sense to the point where they didn't have to because flight is an extremely energy expensive behaviour and and mode of transport. It'll be like us running everywhere and if we don't have to then uh, we don't. I leave Chris and the baby little penguin behind. While I've been saying penguin a lot I think about a man who can't say penguin Benedict Cumberbatch. He can't say it, the word, penguin. This is an actual documentary he narrated. This is a supercut of when he has to say penguin. Is penguins, crested penguins, parent penguin heading home. So why are these woodlands so attractive to penguins? Penguins. Graham Norton actually hit him up about it on a talk show. Of all the questions we had, The one that came up most often was, <laughs> ask Benedict to say the word penguin. <laughs> <laughs> what is this about? Well, apparently I got it wrong repeatedly in the documentary. <laughs> it wasn't a documentary about said animal. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a documentary about, I think about the South Pacific in general. And now I'm completely terrified of the word. Um, I don't go near it. The funny thing is you don't, you don't do this in isolation. You have a, you have a team of... <laughs> You know, natural history experts based in Bristol, funded by you, the tax-paying public. It's not just me sitting there at a booth going, I I think I know how to say penguin, I'll say penguins. It's mortifying. I might not be as rich, handsome, talented or smart as Benedict Cumberbatch, but I can say penguin. Now, another weird thing about flightless birds is they have a smell, like that musky, musky friend that prefers not to use deodorant. Because they evolved with no predators, they didn't need to hide their smell from them. So as well as not being able to fly, they got smelly. We're off to visit one of the stinkers now, my namesake, the kiwi. Never sniffed a kiwi. How would you describe the smell of a kiwi? It's a nice, musty, like, forest smell. This is a problem for New Zealand's flightless birds, and why they're in so much trouble. Because now there are predators introduced along with all the people. Once we've introduced these mammalian predators, now they smell too bad, they can't fly away. They've never had to 
deal with predators. Stoats and dogs and cats are everywhere. And our flightless birds don't stand a chance. They're too useless. That's why places like the zoo are involved in so much bird recovery work. The amount of people we get in here in the zoo see some of our native birds and then the kids are like, oh, our cat bought one of those in the other day. And the parents, super embarrassed, and they try and say, oh, no, it wasn't, no, no, our cat's an inside cat. But these are real discussions we need to be having, especially cats, especially cats, because you can't control them. Another fun fact, New Zealand loves cats. For every household here, there are 2.5 cats. It's cat chaos. Plus, there are the 11 million feral cats that aren't even counted in that statistic. And as we all know, cats and birds don't get on. I'm a tweet with a bird in a cage. Tweet is my name, but I don't know my age. I don't have to worry, and that is that I'm safe in here from that old putty cat. If we lose them here, we lose them everywhere. This is the last haven for these endemic species. So it's what makes them so unique and so precious and... You know, a lot of people do think they're quite fragile, but you put them in an area with no predators and everything they need, the populations boom again. So it's definitely not the case that they're too fragile. It's that they've developed over, you know, thousands of years in a habitat that's absent of the things that now it isn't absent of. We've arrived at another part of the zoo where they're hatching and raising some fresh kiwis. Auckland Zoo is part of Operation Nest Egg where kiwi eggs are taken from the wild if they're in areas with a lot of predators that will eat the eggs before they can hatch. So they hatch them here, let the kiwi chicks grow until they're a decent size, then let them go into the wild again. I meet Catherine, mother to the kiwis. I'm on the bird team here at the zoo. And you've got some baby kiwis, I hear. Yeah, three currently. Are you a fan of the kiwi? Who isn't a fan of the kiwi? I don't think you're allowed to say that in this country that you don't like a kiwi, right? Mm. It's not my favourite bird, but I do like a kiwi. Now, America has the bald eagle as its mascot, a strong, vicious killing machine. The peak of bird evolution sees it tearing other small mammals apart with its talons and beak. New Zealand has the kiwi, a massive ball of fluff that can't fly and gets eaten by pretty much everything. Okay, maybe I'm being a bit harsh. They're not completely useless. Kiwi are actually really easy to rear because they eat for themselves as soon as they hatch. They've got this big yolk sack that when they hatch, that will feed them for up to like 10 days. It sits just underneath the skin, like in the abdomen region. That's quite good evolution, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. And are, they, are they a tough little bird, the kiwi, or are they pathetic? The older they get, the tougher they get. So as soon as they hatch, they're pretty vulnerable. So if you imagine like a ball of fluff, not dissimilar to your microphone, um, <laughs> that hatches really smelly. So it's in a burrow and imagine like some mammal coming along that sniffs it out. So it's really vulnerable at that stage. But the, and it's quite happy to sit in our arms at that stage once it's just hatched. The older it gets, once it gets to three weeks, they want to be out of here. They're desperate to leave us. They're kicking away. We've entered a tiny room and I'm staring into what looks like a small oven. It actually looks a little bit like that cat drying device I discovered in the cat show episode of Flightless Bird. But this little oven is a special incubator that contains a tiny, recently hatched kiwi bird. Catherine gently reaches in and lifts out a tiny fluff of kiwi that's been huddled in a temporary nest made from a curled up towel. He's got big feet, which I'll flip him over so you can see. And you'll see this big yoke I've been talking about. So these are his giant feet. And can you see this big belly here? So that's all yoke under there. So it'll all shrivel up in a 10 days, you know, and flatten out, all right. I guess I'll show you his wing, because he's getting a little fidgety now. So you can see what's left of the... It's just, oh, it's just a little nub, isn't it? Yeah. I know. So not, not used for anything we know about. Wow, it's the most pathetic little thing ever, yeah. isn't it? So for the record, this flightless bird does have a wing. It's just utterly useless. This little pink nothing. It's like a little nub. I know they say it's not the size that counts, it's how you use it, but the kiwi can't use this thing for anything. Is there any use for this little nub that we just saw? It's totally like vestigial now. and For balance. It's about that small as an adult. Poor little thing. Without people helping, 
would New Zealand's flightless bird population just all be dead and gone? Absolutely, yeah. There would be no Kiwi, I would say, if there was no work being done. There's less than 5% chance of a Kiwi reaching adulthood if there's no predator control. Stay tuned for more Flightless Bird. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Flightless Bird is brought to you by Modern Fertility. Now, did you know that one out of eight couples struggle with infertility? It's a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to even begin talking about. But we need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within six business days. Traditional hormone testing at a fertility clinic can cost over $600, but Modern Fertility tests the same general set of hormones for only $179. And if you go to modernfertility.com bird, you can get $20 off your test. Plus, you can get reimbursed for the test through your FSA or HSA. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, clinically sound information about your body can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com bird. That means your test will cost $159, which is a fraction of what it would cost at a fertility clinic. Get $20 off your fertility tests when you go to modernfertility.com bird. modernfertility.com bird. All right, Monica, how are you feeling so far? Are you feeling like you're learning about beautiful Aotearoa in New Zealand? Oh, I felt like you were speaking a different language all of a sudden. Well, temporarily I was. I'm not <laughs> I'm very terrible at Tadeo. That's one word I can just about say. Could still use some work. That was so fascinating. I felt like you really transported us. I felt like I was there. Oh, good. Yeah, I just wanted you to hear some of those little peeping bird noises, that little penguin peeping up. I wanted you to feel that little kiwi's horrible. I mean, the little nub of wing really was disgusting. It was. The feathers of kiwi are almost really soft hair, so it's like a really beautiful bird, but you brush that hair away in these really fine feathers, and there's this horrible little <laughs> tiny nub of pink wing. Ew. It's so gross. But yeah, and I think it's really interesting because I didn't even know that that's a real problem that we have, stinky birds. How big was the penguin? Oh, so tiny. I'd say he was maybe five inches. What? About five inches high. He was just a little chick, so he was tiny and fluffy and was honestly the cutest little thing I've seen. All these birds are really, really cute. But how big will he get? I'm going to look it up now because I don't want to give the wrong information here. Little penguin height, 12 inches, 12 inches high. A one foot. Oh, my God. How cute. I want one of those. They're pretty cool. Now, one fun fact about New Zealand that kind of runs counter to all of this is that we used to have the world's biggest eagle way back in the day. So Moa died out because we hunted them. They were like the ultimate chicken, right? It's like 300 chickens in the one bird feed a whole village. And moa, by the way, they evolved to the point where they didn't even have vestigial wings. There was no wings on them whatsoever, which is really rare. But because moa was so big, New Zealand for a period before moas got killed out also had the world's biggest eagle. Have you seen Lord of the Rings? Have we talked about this? Yeah, I have not. I barely remember Lord of the Rings and I sort of an unpopular opinion, but I don't really like, it's not my thing. Yeah. But there's one scene where like a wizard is riding this big bird, this big eagle thing. And that was based on the Haast eagle, which was the world's biggest eagle. Whoa. And it only died out in New Zealand because its food source, the moa got killed. So humans <gasps> uh... killed the moa. And then the world's biggest eagle died because it didn't have these giant birds to eat. So once upon a time, New Zealand, as well as having all these useless flightless birds, did have the biggest, most majestic flightful bird on the planet, which is kind of crazy. I never even, which is so dumb, but I never even thought twice about why 
birds evolved to fly, obviously they evolved to fly to escape predators. But I didn't ever even think about that. I'd never really thought about it either. You just kind of look at animals and you're like, oh, this one has wings and this one yeah, doesn't. Yeah, but, but it yeah, makes I mean, sense. I hadn't thought that flight uses so much energy. Like it's such an impractical thing to do if you don't have to do it, which is why New Zealand birds were like, screw this. We're just going to walk around. This is way more restful than all this flying we're doing. Why are we flying if we don't have to? Right. Which is weird because as a human, when you think of special abilities you want, everyone either wants, wants to, to be fly. invisible or fly. Whereas birds, you give a bird a chance and it will be like, screw this. Exactly. I want to fucking sit down and rest and throw a few million years in and suddenly you lose the ability to fly. Oh my God, that is crazy. Now, when you were on your flight, I think we texted for a second and I said, David, take this time to write me a death note. That's a ding, ding, ding to an old episode where you said that you have notes ready on your phone to send out in case your plane is crashing. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be able to quickly communicate with <laughs> all people. your feelings, all the things that have been left unsaid, you just lay it on them as you're about to die. Yeah. And I, I asked if you would take some time to write me one and I want to just follow up and see if you were able to do that. <laughs> no, this <laughs> <laughs> No, that's a really fair question, and I'm absolutely caught out. I'm going to be honest, because this is my year of honesty. I've been honest about a lot of things lately. I didn't write any extra notes okay. on that trip, because I got distracted by James Cameron's avatar. Oh, that's the worst answer ever, because avatar is only just fine. Monica, look, one thing that's changed. I have added you in my address book to the list that gets a message. But it's like... But it's the generic one? It's generic. <laughs> so it's like, says some nice generic things. No. Because honestly, but Monica, don't find this offensive because honestly, the people <laughs> that get these messages, there's like three people and it's so intense. And I don't even know if you want to be included in that. Do you know what I mean? It's not necessarily a good thing. It's just like laying down all the things I haven't said. It's not necessarily good. Have you ever met me? Obviously, I'm dying to be in that group. I want the longest letter. I want the most impassioned letter. <laughs> Three people? Like, I'm look, you brought it up <sighs> again, and I know this is important to you. And it's my year of being honest and being less selfish. So I'm going to also think about this now and maybe adding you on some other <laughs> tier of death message. I'm going to let you off the hook. It's not selfish of you to not have a letter for me. It's selfish of me to want a letter. But it's not my year of being not selfish. So I'm still going to request that that happens. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, I note that I did check as I was departing Los Angeles for New Zealand. I did sort of check some of the things I wanted to say, some other people that I haven't checked the death notes for a while. Oh. And there were some updates that I wanted to add. So I need to do that as well because a few things have changed. Oh, So I'm actually glad God. I checked because if I sent some of those messages out, they would have been out of date a little bit. I'm just dying to read those. Oh, the other thing I did in New Zealand... Or we meant to do it, but we didn't do it, actually. It was Festivus. We meant to do that over Christmas, but didn't do it. So I'm thinking this year maybe we can have a go at that, which is where you air the grievances that you have with each other at the end of each year. So that's a tradition. Unfortunately, this trip was too fleeting. I couldn't do it, but it made me think I should maybe bring that tradition into our little circle. That's a New Zealand tradition, Festivus? Uh, no, no, it's not. It's actually from Seinfeld, but I've been <laughs> celebrating it for quite a while now. And I think if, you know, me and you and Rob and maybe the whole extended sort of family could get together and you basically in a circle go around saying what everyone has done that, to wrong you during oh, the year. It's sort of an airing of grievances oh and God. it goes around the circle until everyone has had their grievance aired. Oh, wow. Okay. I might be sick that day. That sounds intense. It's a lot. It starts off jovial. People will bring up things that are a bit more lighthearted, but it will end with someone crying or storming yeah. out. It gets really <laughs> full on. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> should we go back to learning about sort of our main, most exciting flightless bird? Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, let's travel back in our minds back to beautiful New Zealand. During my trip to New Zealand, I've encountered something quite rare in amongst all the flightless birds an American. It's not James Cameron. This one is female and has little interest in Avatar. I'm curious what their experience is being like in New Zealand. 
Can you just tell me what your experience was as an American coming to New Zealand? Um, what happened to you? Sure. So I immigrated to New Zealand with my parents and my siblings 25 years ago. And probably first day of school, I imagine, I made the horrible mistake of saying math and was instantly corrected by some snotty 12-year-old. Um, actually, it's maths. <laughs> Yeah, so it was very triggering when you spoke about it and I was like, oh, I relate so hard. It's like you have been in the upside down to my experience. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So a lot of your observations in the States are the same observations that I made, but in reverse when I moved to New Zealand. It's like being in the upside down in Stranger Things. And to be honest, it's a little bit scary. So I turned my attention back to the birds at the zoo, specifically the third and final flightless bird I'll meet on my trip. Right now, this zoo is looking after a kakapo. Kakapo are these giant green parrots that are also flightless. I guess you could liken them to the size of a really big owl. They're sort of a giant fluffball like owls are too. And they're the world's heaviest parrot, weighing up to nine pounds. Oh, look at that. <sighs> Ow. God, he's got sharp claws. Famously, one of them once had sex with the head of Stephen Fry's cameraman. He's getting a bit frisky. Ow! Ow! Do you think it is a, um, he's actually attempting a sort of mating ritual? He is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he must. <laughs> you are sure, sure, sure. Or not. Ow! God, sharp. Look, he's so happy. <laughs> Sorry, but one of the funniest things <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> You are being shagged by a rare parrot. There are around 250 of these birds left. That's up from 110 years ago. These things are slow breeders. 250 birds is hardly any birds. They're as rare as hen's teeth. Despite living in New Zealand most of my life, I've never met a kakapo before. Most New Zealanders never will. Again, there's only 250 of them on the entire planet. The one I'm seeing today is having a checkup from the vet here, James Chatterton, because it's got a lung infection. This particular kakapo is from the South Island, and because it's being treated here in the North Island, there's some quarantine rules in place. There are some diseases up here that they don't have. One of the ways we protect kakapo is to have them in really strict quarantine, so we're going to get changed into overalls and uh, separate footwear and sterilise our hands before we go in, and that makes sure that we only send kakapo home with the stuff they came up with. We step into a little quarantine zone where some overalls are hanging from a hook. We're going to keep our human clothes on the inside of these overalls and only cockball touch the outside of the overalls, right? And so it's like putting on a wetsuit. Just keep your hands on the inside. Roha is the name of the kakapo I'm about to meet. She's been here for a while, getting treatment each day. So Roha is a kakapo that's been with us for nearly seven months. So Roha normally lives on Pukinui, which is Anchor Island in Fiordland. She's got aspergillosis, so fungal pneumonia, which is a real nasty disease. It kills uh, a lot of birds and has killed several carpal over the last few years. Roha's probably the most severe case that's survived, mm. though she's not cured yet. So she's seven months into treatment. They don't really like being here, especially no one likes being in hospital, right? But they're really tolerant, a real amazing species to work with, both in the wild and, and also from a veterinary point of view, because they're really enigmatic, but they're also really forgiving. Every day, Roha needs to have a nebulizer, a sort of steam treatment. A bird can't wear a face mask, so Roha sits in what's like a little mini sauna. Now in our overalls, we go through into the room where Roha lives. There I meet Celine, a vet nurse. I'm just going to catch up Roha. She is in her enclosure. It's all specially prepared. We've got a nice padded floor for her because she's been flightless. She'll spend a lot of time mooching around on the ground, and loads and loads of what we call browse, so lots of branches and fresh greenery that our horticulture and browse departments supply for us. So it all just makes a nice camouflage enclosure. So I'm going to go in, and I'm being a wuss at the moment. I've got my special neoprene sleeve. Yeah. It's almost like a bit of wetsuit you're putting on, yeah. so that's so the, the yeah. kakapo's claws don't get I'm you. I'm sick of <laughs> being scratched up. Um, her, her scratches seem to take a long time to heal on me. And I'll just reach into her house because she's almost very predictably inside her little, um, her little house that we've made for her, and um, she'll probably just step up on my arm, and I'll just hold around her shoulders to hang oh, Good on. luck. Yeah. hope you don't get clawed. 
Celine disappears into a little room full of shrubbery and emerges with a giant parrot carefully clutched in her arms. A parrot making a very strange, very grumpy noise. Such a big, flightless bird. Such a deep sort of grumble, isn't it? They hear, you know, low frequencies. That's one of the ways they communicate, especially in the breeding season. I'm just going to hang on to your head, madam. You do your thing. Don't let me get in the way. By now, Rohar is sitting up on Celine's arm, perched there quite happily, but still sounding very grumpy. It's a giant thing, a big old parrot, about the size of a fucking swan. And she gently eases him into his little mini sauna for his treatment. She's a really nice, gentle bird, and I think she's just learned to just go with the flow a little bit with what we're doing. And like the kiwi and little penguin, the kakapo also stinks. Bit of an acquired taste, perhaps, or a bit of an acquired smell. I think it smells like a really nice walk in the forest, that kind of smell you get when you walk amongst the trees. As I stare at the kakapo, I'm just blown away by how green she is. And I think of the kiwi, which is brown, green and brown. That's the colour of most New Zealand's native birds. There's no big flashy colours. And that's because back in the day, the only predators birds had were other birds. And so a bird's best defence was to blend into the forest. If you were a bird that was threatened by being eaten and you evolved in New Zealand, your strategy was to not move and to be camouflaged because the things that were trying to get you responded to movement and could see in colour. In most of the rest of the world, A lot of the predators are mammalian and they see monochrome, so in black and white if you like, and they hunt by smell and often at night. And so in other areas of the world, you can get away with being colourful, but what you mustn't be is if you're a a bird, you mustn't smell and you must try and run away if things come after you. And so that is one of the major problems then when mammalian uh, predators are introduced to New Zealand, is you have them hunting one way and the defence skills of the poor old native New Zealand birds was just not effective against this new predator threat. I leave Rohar to her little medical sauna, muttering away to herself. I feel lucky I got to see one of only 250 of these things that are left on the entire planet. This bird is 0.4% of the entire population of Kakapo left. This is a completely pointless statistic, but if Roha was a person, she would be 32 million people. My point is, I feel lucky to have met her and had her grumble right in front of me. Before I leave New Zealand, I head back to say bye to my tiny nieces. Come on, Chewie, talk to me. What's some cockatiel noises? As well as having a very grumpy cockatiel, which they rescued from someone who didn't want it, my nieces are also big fans of New Zealand's native birds. My brother lives out of the big city, and they often go camping in more secluded places than that. So my niece has seen a bunch of kiwis in the wilds. I never have, so I want to know what the experience was like. I've driven a few hours north to visit, and we go on a little walk into the woods, or bush as we call it here in New Zealand. David, come on, you're coming. A neighbour is chopping a tree down with a chainsaw, so we head down a more secluded path. What are kiwis like? I've never seen one in the wild before. What are they like? They are funny. Poking their bum out of a bush. Poking their bum out of the bush? (laughs) Yeah. Kiwis do have big butts. Tiny heads and big butts. So if you see them foraging away for bugs at night, All you see is their bums up in the air. They do have big butts, don't they? Yes. Okay, Sophie, I wanted to know whether you think we should replace the kiwi with maybe another bird because the kiwi is so sort of useless. It doesn't fly, it doesn't really do anything. Do you think we should replace it? No. Why not? Because I like the kiwi and it's a native bird. What's so good about the kiwi? It's a kiwi and it doesn't fly, so I like birds that don't fly. Yeah, I guess that is one thing, right? It's kind of unique to have something that can't fly, because most birds can fly. Okay, you've put some pretty good arguments for keeping the kiwi as our national symbol. So what else does the kiwi have going for it? You say it's cute, it can't fly, and they poke their bums out. And that it's not in any other country. Yeah, it's just unique to us, hey? Yes. 
I've turned to my other niece with a microphone. What do you think of the Kiwi? And she's actually physically run away from me. You're running away from the mic. <laughs> New Zealanders don't like podcasting. They don't like having a microphone shoved in their face. Don't you think that maybe if a bird's so useless that it can't survive on its own, we should maybe just let the Kiwi go extinct? No way! It's had its day. It's had its time in the sun. But if they can't survive on their own, maybe we should just stop helping them and just let them die out. But then one of our native birds would have died out. Okay, we'll keep the kiwi for now, I guess. We'll let it survive. It's decided. We won't let the flightless kiwi bird die out, and we'll keep it as the main symbol of New Zealand. That red light means I'm recording. So everything you just said was recorded. And now it's going to be broadcast out to millions and millions of people. No. You don't believe me? No, I don't. Why don't you believe me? I often feel like you don't believe me. Do you not find me believable? Not really. I love my nieces to bits and wish more humans were sometimes as sceptical as they are. As to what I've learned from New Zealand's flightless birds, well, I've learned that in New Zealand, we've sort of undergone the reverse natural selection. Birds which could once fly are now entirely flightless. The plump kiwi wanders the forest floor with useless vestigial wings. And our biggest parrot is famous for being, well, big. Its lumbering frame couldn't care less about flying. It's happiest on the ground. While America is all about confidence and a bit of peacocking, talking up how great things are and striving for perfection, in New Zealand, being pathetic is kind of rewarded. Maybe not in the last 100 years or so, but definitely in the last 80 million. The more useless, the better. Wings? We don't need them. Smell? Let's be as stinky as possible. There's something sort of wonderful about that. And while our pathetic flightless birds are struggling, New Zealand's humans are rallying together to save them. And that's pretty great too. Summing up my takeaway is that New Zealanders being pathetic is kind of our evolutionary strategy. It's deep in our DNA. And it's okay. It's okay to be pathetic. Oh, wow. Is that? Okay. <laughs> That's the theme of the episode today. Okay. okay? okay. For New Zealanders okay. and for all of us, anyone listening who's feeling a bit pathetic, I'm saying it's okay. Lean into it. Stay on well, that forest floor. No, I can't. I, listen, I'm an American and I just can't sign on to that. No, that's good. This is a test. I was just testing that you were still as American as when I left you. <laughs> I sure am. And pathetic is not something you're born with. You can choose to not be that. And I think that's a choice one ought to make. Because it's a bad feeling. That is probably is a fair argument and an accurate <laughs> thing to point out. It's not necessarily in your DNA. See, you're like, oh, America's treated me bad. But really, you just went to New Zealand, got reintegrated into the pathetic nature of the country, come back, and then all of a sudden you get bit by a squirrel, you get COVID, you're extremely pathetic. <laughs> no, it's true, right? My theory plays out. I barely survived the trip back. <laughs> It's been rough, Monica. It's been really, really rough. It was a bit of a culture shock going back and coming back again. It's double shock. It's like I've been in a, a tumble dryer or something. That's how I feel. Yeah. You kind of feel like a bird with no home. Although I feel like because birds can fly that I could see them being less attached to a home. Yeah, no, I like that. They've got a much bigger scope of where they can go, right? Yeah, literally anywhere is possible for them. The metaphor for the show just keeps being extended. <laughs> like it's sort of a throwaway name, but it's actually ended up being incredibly accurate. It's true. Do you have a favorite bird? Do you have a favorite one? I just have to ask this. Listen, I like birds. You like cooking them. You like <laughs> cooking them for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Wait, chickens. <laughs> I'm like kind of scared to say anything because... I'm so ignorant. I should also say, I get to make these documentaries and I have Wikipedia there. I've got books. I've got everything. So I get to sound really smart in my little pre-recorded bit. But I know nothing about anything. That's the whole thing. I'm so ignorant. Chickens are birds. I know. I know they're birds. <laughs> <laughs> I know they're birds, but they're flightless. No, that's the thing. No, they're not flightless. So that's actually quite an incredible thing because I didn't clock this till recently. 
the ones that are bred for eating in factory farms, they're flightless because they're bred to be so full of meat and fat that they can't fly. If you go and meet a chicken before it's pushed down that line of being for food, they're roosting up in trees. They're taking off. They're having a great time. No, David, really? So I think you're going to be going to Hawaii soon. Go to Hawaii and find a wild chicken and chase it around your backyard, (laughs) and that chicken will fly up into a tree. They'll roost in the trees, and they'll come down to eat. It can go that high up? Yeah. So the chickens that we see all the time in America and and in New Zealand, the ones for food, they are so fat they can't fly. Okay, so our friends Ryan and Amy have chickens. But they're in like a coop and I don't see them flying places. No, those would be, look, again, not an expert, but I think that type of that breed of chicken, they're being bred for like meat. commercial life. Yeah, meat and sitting around oh. all day. If you get a wild chicken, they're flapping wow. those little wings around and they're taking off. I don't think they fly far, though. They still fly short distances. Yeah, they won't migrate to New Zealand or anything, but they can get off the ground away from a dog or something. Wow. Mm, I didn't know that. Okay, that's good to know. I did think a good game show would be getting all of New Zealand's birds to sort of fight all of America's. So you get like a kiwi Ooh. to fight an eagle or something. Okay, well, we already know the eagle's going to win because you've described as pathetic. The season of TV <laughs> wouldn't go on for very long at all. <laughs> it was really amazing hanging out with everyone because zoos are often thought of as I think of being... And rightfully so, zoos are places that technically shouldn't exist. Everything should be free. But this zoo did have this incredible wildlife recovery program. And it was kind of neat going behind the scenes because you're in the zoo and it's a really cool setup. And then you go behind the scenes and there's this almost this other whole world at the zoo in New Zealand where it's just animal recovery. While I was there, someone had found a sea turtle and they brought it in and that was off to the operating theater. This operating theater was amazing because it was an operating theater for animals. And so it had like a little table for like the turtle and everything was different sizes because they're operating on birds in there, turtles. They probably bring horses in. It was the craziest little operating theater I've ever seen. Wait, in New Zealand... Do they call hospitals operating theaters? So in a hospital, there will be an operating theater inside. So in like the, yeah, in that specific area. Yeah. Okay. Operating room. Yeah, operating. Or or room theater. But theater is nice. That makes it sound really fancy. It sounds like you go to a show and you watch people being operated on the theater. What's your favorite bird? I never really answered, but I don't have one. No, I think we chicken. I think you like chickens. <laughs> okay, no, that's not. I don't <laughs> want that to go on chickens. record. <laughs> the record is my favorite bird. I do like penguins. I like peacocks. Yeah, peacocks are cool. I like hummingbirds. They're beautiful, aren't they? Yeah. I like a lot of birds. There's almost too many to choose from. I recently got a book of Californian birds because when I go walking, I want to be able to identify them more. So yeah. I'm going to take my little book out with me so I can see what they are. But I think my favorite bird, there's a bird in New Zealand called the fantail, and they're probably overrated, but their tail fans out like a fan. Like a peacock? Like a peacock, but they're tiny. They'd be like the size of a sparrow, tiny little things, but they're really friendly. So when you're going for a walk in the forest, a little fantail will find you and will just follow you along, like hopping from tree to tree, talking to you while you hike. And that's this really adorable, beautiful thing that I always love about New Zealand. Does it talk like a parrot talks? It doesn't talk to you. No, it's like little peeps. It'll be like, beep, 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 like that. Okay. And what color are they? It's like a beautiful browns and black and white. They've got like a little motley chest. They're just the cutest little thing around. And I think that's probably my favorite New Zealand bird. But is that your favorite bird of all time? Of all time, no, I have to go for into parrot territory when I go for favorite bird of all time. My dream bird, my dream parrot is an African gray, and they're the smartest parrot. You can teach them different words. They know what words mean. They can count. They're just the best bird on the planet. It feels like this is a really good time to talk about fudge. Oh, fudge. (laughs) My little bird and my little budgie from New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, I love Fudge. He was my first pet parakeet. I had him when I was about seven. 
and he'd go everywhere with me. He'd like sleep in the bed with me. He'd go to school with me because I was homeschooled, so it would just be at home. Uh, and it was <laughs> okay, that's a misdirect. It was. So, oh, I love fudge. Yeah, he got cancer and died. Poor little guy. I know that's so sad. And I tried to get you to express your feelings about that, and then you said he was dead to you. I haven't processed Fudge's death yet and it's sort of sealed off. I don't know if I'll ever be able to unseal those feelings. But, you know, David, this is a lesson because if you had expressed your feelings to Fudge before he passed, Mm. you might not be so burdened with this. And this goes back to the notes. Another thing that America is much better at doing than New Zealand, by the way, is talking about feelings and all these different sort of aspects of life. In New Zealand, we tend to seal things off. We don't talk about things. We're always talking about moving forward. You've got to move forward. You know, the past is in the past. <laughs> Whereas in America also, even, you know, in the last hour, <laughs> I'm remembering what America's like again. Like, it's all about being open, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's a real culture shock again. 2023 is the year you're honest. Mm-hmm. It's the year you're not selfish. And it's the year that you're open with your feelings okay. and you write me a note i'm willing like you threw that in there at the end i'm willing to work on this obviously i need to claw my way back to getting more american points so for yeah. that reason alone i will attempt those four things monica i promise okay great i love that and you obviously did not get more american today you got no. less you're at zero i'm back to zero but that's okay we have a lot more show yeah, we do. We're back an episode a week. Everything from rabies to uh, trips to Florida. There's going to be a, a lot of crazy happening. I can't wait to teach you things and for you to teach me more things, Monica Pad. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Does anyone ever call you that, Monica Pad? <laughs> no. I just did that I... then. What do you think? <laughs> I'll be honest. I hated that. <laughs> But I also liked it because I like when people give each other nicknames. I think that's very sweet. It means there's an intimacy. Absolutely. Monica Pad. Okay. Bad but one. maybe, yeah, so it's not the best one. Well, you don't want to be known as Pad? <laughs> I could just feel like I'm back in middle school and like someone's calling me that as like a period Pad. Oh, no, I don't, I don't want that. I'll work on it. I'll work on, a, okay. I'll, I'll work on another one. It just came out. It just came out of me, you know? I know, which I liked. Okay. I liked that moment, but let's workshop it. All right. Well, feel better. Thank you. I'll see you in person very soon. Yes. Okay. And you too, Rob. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.